Hi everyone, I'm Heaven. And I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round live in Toronto! Okay, so on the show today, we have brilliant artist Maria Kamar, whoop, whoop. aka Hate Copy, Best you name. better know, <laughs> writer extraordinaire Sachi Cole, yeah, and also Tracy's joke time might be making a return. Okay, okay. I guess I better find a joke pretty soon. <laughs> so we have so much stuff. So for much you. stuff. Yes. So let's get the show moving with our first guest. <laughs> Our first guest is an auntie's dream or worst nightmare. <laughs> She's a Daisy pop artist from here in Toronto. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Hate Copy herself, AKA Maria Kamar. Um, hi. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> so, your Twitter handle is Hate Copy. Yes. <laughs> a reference to your former life in advertising. Yep. Which is an industry where there are not a lot of brown people, I do believe. <laughs> what, Accurate fear. <laughs> what is the wildest microaggression or macroaggression you have experienced <laughs> while oh, working in advertising? Where are you really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, I have a little story. One of our clients was like a, like an air freshener brand. Okay. And Innocent enough. <laughs> you know, and I don't know about like anybody else, but like my family stocked up on air fresheners because my mother was very embarrassed that, you know, our neighbors would complain that the house would smell like curry and then we'd be stinking up the neighborhood. Dang. It was one of those things, right? So we did a little bit of research and we realized that the demographic for this air freshener brand was the majority of like brown people hmm. because that, that was the reason my mother's insecurity wasn't just her insecurity it was a lot of people that were like oh we don't want neighbors to complain wow you know that the building smells like you know and so I went to my career director and I was like you know should we you know maybe in the stock images we should cater this brand towards more of a South Asian community because the research shows that there's like so many of us that are buying this stuff and they're like okay yeah sure we'll do that when we started doing the posts, uh, it was, you know, the stock images were primarily white people. Surprise. And I don't know, and I don't know <laughs> if that was like a stock image problem or the client problem or that people just, sometimes brands do this thing where they go, oh, this is not the demographic that we are going for. We want this demographic and it makes no sense because the research doesn't add up so that was kind of mm. one of those things that really threw me off and i was and like and that's really code name for we want white people's money right yeah cater to white people. yeah there was a whole thing with tommy hilfiger about that too right where like they wouldn't oh. hire models of color mm -hmm. because that was not their demographic and it didn't make any sense so that was one of the things that really irked me about advertising it's like i'm contributing to this like i don't yeah. i don't like this so you said fuck that yeah. No more advertising. Well, they fired me. So oh. I was like, all right, good. <laughs> you know what? However you got there, you are now I was amazing... I was not their demographic, I guess. <laughs> so you can go. So you are now a very successful, very accomplished, and talented artist. Hey. Um, I'm always very interested as somebody who only recently got the courage to start calling herself a writer out loud. When did you first call yourself an artist? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, it was like... Very, very recently, like a couple of years ago, when I first started doing this thing, because 
everything that I've wanted to do since I was like a kid was like to be an artist. Mm. That's all I knew how to do things. Like I couldn't really read well. I wasn't really that good at science. I wasn't really good at anything else. I only really knew how to communicate visually. Mm. What were so, you drawing back then? Or what was your visuals back then? Um, well, I started out drawing characters from Aladdin because <laughs> it's Aladdin. <Aww>. Um, <laughs> um, but in, back home, and I, I was born in Pakistan, so back there, Aladdin was actually filmed, like it was dubbed in Hindi and Urdu. So I was like, oh, this makes sense. The characters are brown and they're speaking Urdu mm. and all the songs are in like Hindi and stuff. And then I came here and somebody was like, a whole new world, right, Maria? And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and it tripped me out because I didn't know that Aladdin was like a like a American, like a mm -hmm. white people <laughs> interpretation of what where is supposed. And it just it just talk about out. culture shock. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the English version of Aladdin. Mm. Still? Yeah. Oh, I man. refuse. I'm like, no, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna ruin my childhood. I can't do it. Mm. So Aladdin, and then you know, uh, then when I came here. I used to get bullied a lot, so, you know, I, as I said, I'm not really good at writing or whatever other things. I only really know how to communicate visually, so I would go home, and a lot of kids back then, they used to keep, like, journals. That was, like, a, like a Lizzie McGuire, like, whatever, in those, like, shows. They would, like, keep, like, dear diary. And so I would go home, and instead of, like, journals, I would have sketchbooks, so I would draw, like, a comic panel of what happened that day. So if somebody was bullying me, I would draw Aww. out the person bullying me but then i would change the outcome so i would have the last word yeah right. so i would throw something at them or I would push them <laughs> off a cliff smoke it's bomb very dark. it's like i disappear yeah it's, i it's, love that yeah. though i think my equivalent is like when i've been out in the world and somebody got on my nerves and i didn't like bite back then when i go home i have an argument with them in my head <laughs> And I just read, like, first of all, here's what you're not going to do. I feel like it's a similar thing. I really yeah. like this as praxis. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very into it. So you say that you're not very good at writing, but you wrote a book called Trust No Auntie. It is a visually stunning book. Delightful. And it's also all about aunties. Who amongst us does not have an auntie in our life, for better or for worse? <laughs> yes. It was a huge influence. Um, so I want to know, look at this. Look at how beautiful that is. For the listeners at home, the panel behind us says, uh, there's a, <laughs> an outraged auntie. <laughs> Why aren't you married yet? And there's a young Daisy girl. I'm only 12, mom, WTF. <laughs> Classic auntie move. Classic auntie <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yes. But talk to me first about this particular pop art style. And I understand that you refer to yourself as Auntie Warhol. <laughs> yes. Which I fucking love. Yes. <laughs> so Auntie Warhol, walk us through this style. Um, so this is basically, if you guys don't know already, I mean, it's pretty common. It's the style of Roy Lichtenstein, who was one of the pioneers of, of pop art um, in terms of comics. So he used to take... 1940s war comics and turn them into these beautiful simplified like paintings of these women crying like I'd rather drown than call Brad <laughs> <laughs> and it's cute but I was kind of like you know I was trying to get into the mindset of somebody who as soon as you heard their name you'd go I know their style mm. so I was like what would it be to you know what would it feel like to live in Roy Lichtenstein's shoes for a minute but as me and so I drew something, I, I, you know, I tried to draw something that he, he painted 
and his painting was, you know, it was obviously like a crying white woman. I looked down in my paper and what I drew was somebody with my features, like rounder features, like a nose, like a rounder nose and bigger lips and like the, you know, softer, you know, cheeks or whatever and all that stuff. So I was like, this kind of looks like an auntie. This is hilarious. <laughs> and so I put, you know, I'm like, oh, she's not going to be crying about Brad. She's going to be crying <laughs> about something that I'd cry about or an auntie would cry about. And I wrote, I burnt the rotis. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I A thought tragedy. it was so funny. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I thought it was hilarious. So I posted on Instagram mm. and I got like five likes and nice. then 10 likes. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I found it. I found the thing. 10 likes. <laughs> 20 likes. I was like, this is, this is some good shit. Mm. This is some quality content. So why focus your work on aunties? It's actually not focused entirely on aunties. It's, it's mostly about believing. The book is called Trust No Auntie. The book is called Trust No Auntie, but it's about a young, like it's about being a young Daisy girl or boy growing up around bad advice. Mm. <laughs> and it's, you know, sometimes it could come from aunties. The uncles make an appearance in the book too. <laughs> it's mostly about believing in yourself. And, you know, when there's, and for those that don't, really know what aunties are it's like that person could be related to you but it could just be like a random lady it's just mm -hmm. something that we say out of respect for like an older woman it's like oh it's an auntie mm -hmm. but that older woman might not respect you so she might say things like you know <laughs> Damn. um why are you getting a job this is not important women shouldn't be doing this or like you know just like weird like advice it's like you're why are you saying this you know mm. <laughs> and so the book kind of talks about when that advice comes to you and it will come to you um you know, when you're in high school, when you're going to university, college, when you're getting a job in the workplace. Um, and it shows you two different ways to deal with that. So it's, there's a rookie mode to doing it, which is like the nice thank you. Yes, maybe I'll give in to your advice. Or the boss mode, which is just to play with their feelings and go, you know, maybe I will meet your son. <laughs> maybe we will get married. Why oh, don't you snap. bring him over? Oh, shit. <laughs> Drama. And then ruin him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I am a fan of ruining men whenever and however we can. So Wait, yeah. do do white people have aunties? Do they have family reunions? This is a no listen. I don't know. Listen, listen. Legit question. This is a thing we have been talking about for a while. I don't think white people have family reunions. But like Okay, I like Mitt like, Romney and company. Okay. They be taking well, the big ass family reunion pictures. That's because there's 1,100 of them. <laughs> and once a year, they got to get together to see each other. It feels like to me, auntie feels very familiar, familiar, even though I have my very specific like Ethiopian auntie tropes. Like ours mm. are, it's not, it's probably going to be like over coffee instead of tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are our specialties. <laughs> I feel like all my black American auntie tropes are, you know, she makes bomb potato salad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the cool one who might go to the club with you. Ooh. There's the snitch who will tell on both of y'all because y'all went to the club. <laughs> so I want you to talk to us about the different auntie types. So there's the CEO auntie. The boss auntie. The boss auntie. There's the Bollywood auntie. The soft auntie. Do you have a favorite type of auntie? Right now, my favorite type of auntie, it's the soft auntie because that's what my mom is becoming. Hmm. My mom used to be the Bollywood auntie. She used to cry over everything Aww. and just start drama. I know when I moved out to go to school, 
She would be like, you're abandoning me. You're Aww. leaving this family. You're breaking us apart. I'm like, I'm going to school. <laughs> I'm seeing you every weekend. It's, it's happening. I think, yeah. So now she's kind of like, she was calling me like right before this thing started. And I was like, mom, I'm, I'm going to speak on a, a panel thing. So can I call you after? She's like, okay, beta, it's okay. It's fine. Call me when you're free. Okay. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not dramatic anymore, which is nice. Mm. So that's my favorite auntie. Is that the kind of auntie you aspire to be? I aspire to be the CEO auntie. Mm. <laughs> Tell us yes, about the bitch. CEO auntie. <laughs> the CEO auntie is like the auntie that is, you know, the matriarch. Like she runs the home and everybody in her house is under her control. Mm. <laughs> and she has her eyes and ears and hands in every, everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and the online stalker aunties, which I, which I already am. <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of your actual aunties and the people in your life, how have they responded to this book? Because you kind of you <laughs> roasted them a little bit. You kind of got the roast hand out. I don't know if my aunties have a sense of humor. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Don't let them hear me say this. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor, leave that part in. Leave this, this through. <laughs> I come from a very, like, my mom has uh, 13 brothers and sisters. Same. Big family. Exactly 13? Mm-hmm. What? What? <laughs> that's crazy. Amazing. Wow, that's crazy. I'm literally never <laughs> Y'all related. <laughs> <laughs> So I grew up in a very, like, matriarchal home. There are a lot of women, a lot of uh, aunties. Um, and they're very, like, we're, so I'm half Gujarati. And Gujarati women are just very, like, very chatty, very gossipy, very, like, you know? So they love, like, little gossip. They love to talk about things, you know? <laughs> I'm living it's for like, this shoulder like, oh, Maria, Maria has a book out. Like, what is, which auntie am I? So I think they were all, like, they, they were having fun with it to see what kind of aunties there were. But there were, there were a few comments that were like, you know, Maria, why do they always have to have speech bubbles? Hmm. <laughs> they could right. just not you know and I was like that you're absolutely right <laughs> so let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the book mm-hmm. as a whole um, one of the things that we talk about especially a lot in black media is the explanatory comma meaning you know when do you explain parts of yourself and your culture and your own inside references so that people on the outside usually white people get it because you know it's a big burden on black and brown people to have to explain yourself like if I'm writing a, an article about weaves and I'm just like a lace front which is a unit that you install this <laughs> you know I was like I don't want to do that I don't want to do that our friends at um at NPR's Code Switch had a great episode about they this they did they did shout out to Code Switch um so yeah. when did you okay Code Switch fans <laughs> <laughs> this not a Code Switch show though <laughs> Reel it in, reel it in. <laughs> so how did you decide when to do that and when to not do that in the book? Because um, there are like some definitions in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed having to look stuff up. I'm like, yeah, make me do a Google. I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. So there's, there's, a, there's some things in there that, you know, like terms like Hindi words and stuff like that that I just didn't, I didn't translate just because it's, it's a book that's written for like it's from a brown person going to brown people and you know just to help younger brown kids just kind of navigate their world just the way that I did and advice that I wish I kind of had growing up in the language that I kind of spoke which was uh, I think it's called Hinglish just like half Hindi half English um, but there are you know obviously not everybody speaks Hindi and you know they speak Tamil or whatever and you know if you're a part of the 
you know, there's a lot of people that are part of the culture that, that you know, I kind of want to do explain to. Um, but it is one of those things where, like, the idea was to make it so it's a conversation between us um, just to kind of go, guys, let's just take a second and, like, this shit is crazy, right? Like, <laughs> you know, to kind of just talk about things that are happening to us and about us in the, in the media and in, in our community and stuff like that. So um, when I do explain things, um, it's, you know, here and there. But the idea is to have people Google what a lot of the insights and, and jokes are and what it means. I kind of want somebody who's not part of this culture to, to take the book and go, what does this even mean? I'm going to go ask my friend. Yeah. And that starts a conversation that's beyond butter, chicken, and yoga. Like, you know, you kind no. of, you're forced to learn more about us. Yes, it's not exactly. curry. There's Namaste. so many things. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody like, explained yo. white references to us. We just had to get that shit. Yeah. Y'all can do the same. Just a quick Google. It's fine. Okay. So a question that we love to ask every creator on the show is how has your work changed, if at all, under Trump? Or under just like this shit that we're going through today? I don't know if it has changed or if it has... Like, I was recently detained um, at the Canadian border, like going to the U.S. Um, and I think they they saw... There was a image that I made of an auntie slapping Trump in the face saying, like, Sudarja, which means, like, fix yourself. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he just needs an auntie to get him together one yes. time. Okay, yeah. that's how you know that Trump has no aunties in his life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was at a it was at a weird time too, and you know, I was just going to hang out with my friends. It was just for a weekend. I was going there to party, and you know, they kind of asked what I do for a living, and I said, "Oh, I'm an, I'm a designer. I'm an artist." I always say designer because when you say artist, they start asking how much money you have. Oh. And then, and then you have to show them your bank account. Mm. And if they see what they didn't expect, they go, why do you have this much money? It's a nerve. Because you're an artist, so shouldn't you be broke? And I don't know. So it's all these things. So they started asking me all these questions like, you know, where was your dad born? How much money do you have? Why are you going there? I'm like, I'm going to party for like a weekend. So <laughs> I'm going to what turn are, up. <laughs> my, my dad doesn't even know I'm doing this. So like, you know. <laughs> And then, you know, I, I, you know, I got into a little bit, you know, maybe if I tell them what I do and I, that I wrote a book and it's in America and like, maybe they'll like be a little bit, no, they Googled me and they saw this and they went, mm. Wow. I don't know. I don't so know if you're trying to like They saw this they, specifically? Well, they saw the feed. They saw mm. my like Instagram um, and they kind of went, okay, so you're an artist. You're like, where are you from? Are you really Canadian? Are you trying to come in here illegally? What is your, you know? Mm. And it shook, like, it kind of, like, scared them a little bit. I don't know what. Oh, I think people are generally scared of artists. Yeah. Mm. So did this incident make you want to do less political work? Or did it, like, stoke a fire for you to do more? Oh, and be like, it, fuck y'all. I think immediately after I got, um, like, basically banned from America, I basically went to the AGO, which is the Art Gallery of Ontario, and I did an installation um, that was called, like, the Republic of Hay Copy. And I turned like a floor of the gallery into uh, like a customs area slash detention room. Damn. And I turn it into an experience. Talk about where, them. Yeah. So people can come in and, and be treated in the mm. way that I was treated. Wow. And how was that? People were pissed off. Mm. They were mad at me. They're like, what is this? This is degrading. I'm like, exactly. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. This is my life. Mm. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
Maria, thank you so much for being here with us, sharing your art with us. Please don't leave. We're going to have some more fun later. Yes. Very quickly, tell folks where they can find you and your work online. Uh, at HeyCopy on Instagram or www.heycopy.com or any bookstore you can go and find Trust No Auntie. It's there. It's so good and it's so beautiful. Thank you so much, everybody. Maria, hey. come on. Thank you. How y'all doing? <laughs> Pretty good, Tracy. How you doing? I'm cool, and girl. I don't know. Um, <laughs> does anybody have a watch on? Does anybody know what time it is? Um, y'all are so cute. It's also Tracy Joseph. <laughs> Yo, that was the cutest thing ever. I've never also, seen that's me. That's anything me that every adorable. time. <laughs> also, it's helpful for me to know how late the show is running, so that's good. <laughs> Um, y'all so cute. Okay, so the internets have been mad at me for not telling any jokes recently. I hear uh, y'all. I get it. Um, <laughs> also, it just feels nice that people want to hear my jokes because this one over here, never. <laughs> never. She like, you know what? It's been a while since you told a joke. She's never done it. Um, I don't know if I've said those words. Never. I, I know that you've never said those words. Um, so I have, a, I have a little joke, you know, just a little. A little song song? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um... So this one tickles me so much that I, can, I can't get through it usually. So I'm going to have to read more than usual. But I do know the joke. I just Aww. want this to be less painful for y'all. <clears throat> so. <laughs> okay, we can do this as a family. We can get through this. So once upon a time, a man named Bob is walking down the street minding his own business, right? He passes a house. There's a woman sitting on the porch. Next to the woman sits a dog. <laughs> Next to the dog sits a sign that says, talking dog for sale, right? Bob's like, what? A talking dog? Same. You're right. It don't make any <laughs> sense. So Bob wanders up to, to the woman, and he's like, so this dog talks? And she's like, yeah, he does. And he's like, wow, can I talk to him? She's like, yeah, sure, knock yourself out, whatever. <laughs> so he walks over to the dog, and he says, Hello. The dog says, greetings. <laughs> Yo, in all my tellings of this joke, he's never been that excited. <laughs> but tonight he's hype. He's like, greetings. <laughs> and Bob's like, this dog just said an actual English word. That's crazy. And the lady's like, yeah, ask him anything you want. He's happy to talk to you. He's happy to answer. And so Bob looks at the dog and he asks him, he says, so what have you done with your life? Heavy question for a dog, right? <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. Like, don't come at me like that. I'm still in the tag. I'm a dog. Right? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> what you, That's what you would expect him to say. But the dog says, oh, I've had a very fulfilling life. <laughs> I worked with rescuers in the Swiss Alps to save stranded, overly ambitious climbers. Bob's like, overly ambitious. That's a nice word. <laughs> Then, says the dog, I had the honor of serving our country in both Iraq and Afghanistan. That is fucking amazing, says Bob. And then when I got back, I trained puppies to be therapy dogs for children with autism in low-rent neighborhoods. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Bob is like, there's no way. And 
<laughs> but I was like, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And now in my spare time, I read to retired citizens at a retirement home, which is where retired people live. I said what? retired too many times. <laughs> he's just living. He's, he's, a good, he's a good dog. He's literally a good dog. He's a good boy. That's not even the punchline. It just happens to be funny. So by now, Bob is like, this is fucking insane. And he looks at the woman, and he's like, how can you sell this dog? He's First of all, he talks and <laughs> saves so many people. How can you just sell him like that? And the woman says, because he's a liar. That son of a bitch never did any of that shit. <laughs> wow. Wow. Me as a dog. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> the moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is that men lie like dogs, and sometimes dogs lie like men. I will allow it, Tracy Yay! McGee. I will allow it. All right. Thank you for allowing that. Wow. I did a better job. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> Don't start laughing. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to do it. God damn it, Tracy. Why are you so funny? I don't know. You got to do the next part. <laughs> Alrighty, friends. <laughs> I'm going to do the next part. <laughs> Tracy's knocked herself out with her own joke. Common. It was hilarious. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, friends. Our next guest is a friend and colleague of ours at BuzzFeed, where she is killing the game as a culture writer. Her work has appeared in HuffPost Canada, The New Yorker, and The Guardian. First, she's going to come out and read a brief excerpt from her book, One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter. Mood. Forever schmood. <laughs> and then we'll dig into her DMs from The Rock, her Damn. trip to the Juggalo March in D.C. What? and her obsession with Danielle Steele. Please welcome to the show, Sachi Cool. How am I supposed to follow that fucking dog joke? I'm gonna read uh, from a chapter called Fair and Lovely, and I hope you like it, um, but if you don't, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> My race didn't seem like a problem until 9-11, or at least I never noticed a difference beyond forgettable microaggressions. I watched the towers come down while pulling my socks up in the living room, getting ready for school. Mom sat stock still, watching in horror, and I remember this only because it was the first time she wasn't rushing me to catch the bus. She sat in the living room on the coffee table, a wooden spoon held aloft, her face frozen in fear. When we got to school, my fifth grade teacher made us sit around her in a circle and tried to explain what had happened. But mostly, she, she asked us to give her our impressions. It boiled down to some bad guys taking over a plane. It was very diehard. And the only thing that was out of the ordinary was that her teacher wanted to discuss the news, which we would have otherwise ignored. Buildings fell all the time. Wars happened. I understood the news to be a dark thing to watch. I didn't worry. But the older kids get, the more context they have about the world. And holy shit, those contexts end up being really racist. At a day camp the following summer, I tried to sit with a group of girls I was desperate to be friends with. Their ringleader was a few years older than us, and she was impressive. After all, her cousin was a backup dancer for Britney Spears. There was no way to verify this, 
but I remember him looking vaguely Hawaiian and so did she, so I guess it was, there's no way to find out for sure. I followed them around for a few days during activities, you know, running in circles, throwing ourselves on padded mats, unstructured hair braiding time, <laughs> until I steeled myself to sit with them for lunch. My mom always packed me white food, things that wouldn't be embarrassing. Sandwiches, apples, disgusting. Rice Krispies, juice boxes, fruit roll-ups. Once, my friend Kayla brought split pea soup and was teased so relentlessly that I hugged my mom extra tight that night for never packing me kitchdy, even though I loved it. So that day, I brought my lunch bag and sat in the grass with them. But one girl turned to me, flipping her very long brown hair over her shoulder, and asked, why are you sitting with us? Why not, I said. You're brown. Oh, I thought, that's what it is. This was the difference felt but rarely spoken. This was why certain girls just didn't want to be friends with me. It's why certain parents looked at me for too long. It's why everyone wanted to know where I was from. I was brown. Calgary didn't have a huge black population at the time, but I knew one black girl in kindergarten, and I knew that was the word for her. There was a Chinese girl in the first grade, and she called herself Asian, so I knew that was the name for her. But for us, I never named it. Papa told me we were Kashmiri, which was good, because we were from the north. He told me we were of the Brahmin caste, we were descendants of pundits, literally meaning that we were smart and educated and worthy. Cultural history that wasn't necessarily true, but was certainly felt. He never outright mentioned that we were also some of the fairest in the country, and how our privilege was largely related to the sheer dumb luck of being physically lighter. But I'd figure that out soon enough. Papa talked about us as though we were the best India had to offer. That, however, doesn't matter when you just want to get through junior high. Some boys brought me a deodorant stick to help mask my natural curry scent. In grade eight, Joshua, a guy whose main vocation was eating erasers, called me Osama bin Laden's cousin. I took out my gold ruby hoops, the same ones my grandmother had worn, because they felt too obvious. I didn't follow my friends into a yoga trend. I got my nose pierced, but took the stud out two years later because I felt like it marked me. I've since put it back in three times. When we had to study different countries in social studies, I would opt for a country that was predominantly white. Greece was a safe bet, France even safer. One girl innocently asked me what kind of food my parents made for dinner, and I roundly told her to go fuck herself. <laughs> then, in high school, I was repeatedly called the N-word because racism doesn't have to be accurate, it just has to be acute. I thought about how much money it might cost for a nose job, something to break down the most obvious ethnic marker I have. All I'd need is some slimming, shattering the cartilage to refit it so I didn't have this Indian bump, make the tip pointy like a ski jump. White people love skiing. <laughs> They're just always doing dumb shit with snow. I avoided the sun because though my skin is a sickly yellow in the winter, it becomes a deep golden brown in the summer. I pushed against brownness through high school into university. When I moved to Toronto, the number of brown people I saw in a day tripled, and I resented it because they knew I was one of them, and I didn't want to be in this club. But then my niece, Raisin, came out looking like a girl I would have ordinarily considered my enemy. I would have wanted to be her friend because she's cute, objectively, even I would have seen it at her age, if she were in my class, gliding through life like only a normal can. 
And so her life would be and is different than mine because her race is a footnote instead of the title. Unlike me or her father, Raisin isn't being raised Indian. Her only exposure to it comes from my parents, whom she sees twice a week. Her race seems tangential to her existence, hardly something she examines, but rather something the rest of us have put under a microscope from the minute she started gestating in her mom's insides. My parents felt blessed by her fairness, her light eyes, her distinctly white features. And I was 18 when she was born, and I objectively knew whiteness wasn't better and yet, weren't we so lucky to have a little white girl whose life would never resemble our own? When Raisin was very small, I rubbed lotion on her belly after a bath and marveled at how different our skins were. Mine, a dark yellow, black hair sprouting on my arms and hands, hers like milk and honey. It felt as if I was dirtying her, rubbing my skin against hers when hers was so good. I wrapped her in a little towel, and she looked up at me with blue eyes, the same kind I always wanted for myself. Thanks. Um, what you just heard is one of my favorite excerpts from Sachi's book, One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter. <sighs> Which is true. Daily mantra. <laughs> just lean Truly. into it. Yes. Truly. So this is a very timely excerpt because um, I don't know if y'all know, but Dove, the beauty soap people, y'all know. <laughs> y'all already know. <laughs> what happened with Dove? They thought it was cool to run an ad that featured a black woman taking off her shirt and becoming white. So um, this piece, in addition to being timely, like I could relate to so much of it. Because as a kid, um, I had friends who were like, oh, we have to play on the porch because I can't go out and play in the sun because my mother doesn't want me to get darker. Yeah. So the, the part with your dad joking about putting a binder clip on Lil Raisin's nose when she yeah. was born, I was like, wow, I know mad black people who actively try to thin out their babies' noses when oh, they're yeah. born. Oh yeah, and I was just like, everybody's been tarnished by racism. Isn't it sad racism. that that's like our or one? <laughs> you know, <we're> right? <laughs> right. right. I'm so glad we have this in common. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, are there other like little tips and tricks that like you've heard family members or just like other people talk about for like pushing against their kids' brownness? Sure. I mean, I I am pretty fair, so I didn't hear too much of it, but I used to have an aunt who would always come up to me and ask if she could use my foundation because she thought it was a lightning product. Wow. And I was like, no, that's just my face. Oh. Um, but, you know, like there are old wives' tales of you use uh, gram flour or turmeric or, or honey or yogurt or uh, milk and you put it on your face in different proportions, and that will make you fair. I mean, it doesn't wow. work. Wow. Honey, really. yogurt, and that sounds delicious. What a, but. It's a meal. <laughs> no. It's a snack. <laughs> delicious and nutritious, and will get you social capital. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, naturally, when you're, when you're born and raised in a white supremacist landscape, that shit, like, gets in your blood, and it tarnishes you. And you say in your book that for a while you were pushing against your own brownness. Oh, yeah. Um, when did you stop that? When and how did you stop that? I stopped when I realized it wasn't going to fucking work. 
Mm. <laughs> like, that's a great way to stop fighting against your race when you're like, it's not going to change. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wish my answer was some beautiful diatribe about like, I understood my power. Mm. And I like really connected with my like chakras. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just like wasn't effective. And I'm like, well, I got to do something with this. So like, I might as well learn to like it. Mm. But now I get to wear bindis and yell at white women for it. So Hey, shout out to making white people very very good for me. <laughs> How do you feel like you started to unlearn that? How did I unlearn it? Yeah, like I actually think when my niece was born that was a big piece of it mm. because it was something that I was so I'm so anxious about her inheriting it. And when she was very young, she's half she's half white and half brown. She's very white passing. And when she was really young, we had this trip to India that we were going on and she was four or five and we told her, okay, we're all going to go to India together. It's going to suck. You're going to hate it. Um, <laughs> but like my reasons for it sucking, I'm like, it's a 24 hour flight and everyone's going to try to touch your face. So, <laughs> but her, to her, she said that she didn't want to go because she thought brown people were poor and that they mm. smelled bad. And I was like, Jeez. whose house do you think you're in? When you yeah. say this? Like she was at my mother's house mm. lipping off. So, <laughs> she's dead now, but um, RIP. we had, like, a good run. <laughs> you don't, like, you don't say things to a brown mom. You don't, you don't not say wrong. that. You're not and wrong. expect to live. She has so many shoes to hit you with. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you write... <laughs> Somebody can identify <laughs> like a motherfucker. You write so extensively and beautifully and intimately about your own family, which the thought <laughs> of that terrifies me. Yeah. Was it was it scary to put so much of your family and their business out there? Did you ask for permission or forgiveness? Oh, I don't ask for or shit. Neither, or both. Really? Uh, no, I don't, because there's no way you're going to get permission for like, can I tell a terrible story? Like, what am I going to go to my niece and be like, I'm going to tell a story about how you were a racist when you were a baby. <laughs> it's going to live in perpetuity forever. And then if you ever run into anybody who read the book, they're going to be like, oh, you're that racist baby. <laughs> Uh, so no, I didn't ask. I just changed everybody's name and hope for the best. Is it is it bad that I would watch a reality TV show about a racist baby? So would I. I so would. Yeah. Because it would be awful, but so cute. Yeah. 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 Wow, I'm in. I'm yeah. sold. I would watch that. Sachi, you, I think, are one of the wittiest people that I follow on Twitter. Oh, I agree. Um, <laughs> I feel like as Americans, people have this, like, this perception of Canada is just this like place you can run away to that doesn't yeah, have racial yeah. problems. Yeah, I got free healthcare you know stuff. <laughs> I feel like people have a a, a a naive maybe image of Canada oh, yeah. as like this. Y'all seem perfect compared utopia. to what we got well, going on. Well, I think on. like one of I mean, uh, Canada's super racist and it's a mess and everything's broken. Sure, um, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I think what ends up happening is you guys are just so fucking loud down there <laughs> that, like, nobody hears anything that's happening here. That so is we can't even, like... Accurate. And the other... There's, like, a running joke about the U.S.-Canada border, which it's the largest one-way mirror in the world. Ooh! Because you guys look up Damn. and you're like, oh, we look great. And we look down and we're like, no. No, it's... That's wow. not... Y'all y'all still ain't got health care? <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> y'all's president still showing his penny lines everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> 
That's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Drag us. Cool. <laughs> um, I mean, why else did you come? <laughs> fair. 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 That's completely fair. Um, this is going to be not a smooth transition at all. You went to a March of the Juggalos. <laughs> There's no way we could have transitioned from anything about else. else. <laughs> we not at Juggalo marches. <laughs> I did go to the gathering. It was a, a gather, gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> why? Yeah. My editor thought it was funny to make me do it, probably. Oh. So you didn't know anything about it before? Not a ton. I, I'm not a big on juggalo? adult men dressing up like clowns, generally speaking. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't me. really like no. in, in, it wasn't my bag. <laughs> uh, it was fascinating. There were a couple of thousand, a, bu- a, a bunch of juggalos. Do you guys know what juggalos are? Great question. Bless. I just assumed that everybody blessed. knows about okay. these crazy Let's ass explain people. it a little. Juggalos, juggalos are fans of the band Insane Clown Posse. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. they, Murmurs. They dress up Those like a recognition, juggalos. confusion. They, um, it's like a, I'm I'm gonna say this very tenuously, forgive me, but they are a rap group. Ooh, there were air quotes. People heavy air quotes, but yes, I'll give yeah. you yeah. heavy I air mean, quotes. I, rap group. Like it's like, I, whatever. Anyway, they, they uh, like spray off-brand soda on each other and um, <laughs> sing about murdering racists. Hey, right? Okay. They yeah. sing about murdering racists. Yes, they're very anti-fascist, anti-oppression, anti-Confederate flag. This is news like, to me. Right, and you huh. wouldn't expect that because they are. They tend to be. Uh, white men who are poorer, and so they are kind of the demographic that maybe would have voted for Trump in theory. Mm. But they went to the the mall in Washington to protest because in 2011 they were listed as a gang group, as a loosely affiliated gang group at the <laughs> FBI's gang assessment. If that makes them leave black people alone for a little while, I'm okay with it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that happened or how, but they were real sour about it, mm. um, and they were claiming all of these oppressive things that happened. They had lost custody of their kids, and their parole had been revoked. And they're, damn, parole. yeah. So, <laughs> damn, somebody found that hilarious. <laughs> Parole's a gas, you know. Like, I get it. Huh? Okay. Um, I want to see if we can get a little more random than this story of you being at a juggalo march. And I think we can do that in a segment that we like to call Pew Pew Pew. So ideally, this will be rapid fire. Oh, fuck. We try. We always do. I hate it. I hate it. What is it? Cool. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, What is, you have a lot of strong feelings about Canada in general. Sure. What is your favorite thing about Toronto? And you can't say that it's not Calgary. Um, all my friends are here. Oh. Yeah. And my mom isn't. <laughs> okay. Don't tell her. She'll <laughs> never hear it. She'll never know that you No, they will. No they have a Google alert for my name, and now oh. they call me when stuff happens. Yeah, you're fucked. Sorry. Okay. Whoops. It's been so cool yeah. knowing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, You I got know. some DMs from The Rock? Ooh, Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So he slid in your DMs. If I had, I had written a story about The Rock as being sort of our last like populist hero, and of course he loved it because he's like he probably digs himself quite a bit. Yeah. And so he sent me a very nice DM, but what was also kind of weird is his mom emailed me. Oh my gosh, you are in there, girl. And like I, I watched a lot of wrestling as a kid, so I had like a pretty good strong base knowledge of who like Mrs. Mavia was. (laughs) 
But the end of the email kind of suggested she thought I was being a bit of a pervert about the whole thing, which I was like, fair. Wait, no. Uh, no. half the piece was like, check out this guy's whole I upper mean, he, body he business. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he knows I what mean, he's she, sewing. Yeah. She knows what he looks like. She's just gently scolding me from afar. Aww. We're married now. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that you have a fascination with Danielle Steele. I'm obsessed with her. So Danielle Steele writes like a million romance novels. Yeah, she's like a horny ass 71-year-old white lady. (laughs) She's 71 now? Oh, yeah. Wow. So I just remember being like in middle school and going to the library, and there was just like this section that was all one woman. And I was like, who this bitch? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read all of these. (laughs) Danielle Steele. I just wandered over, and then I was 15 books later. (laughs) Yeah. like, oh, the these are day. a fun, predictable pattern. My mom used to. <laughs> my mom used to have a copy of of the Kiss on her bedside table for like years, and on I her didn't bedside table exactly. And so oh I was like, God. whatever, what is this? And then I read it, and I was like, oh my god, uh, <laughs> you sick idiot. <laughs> okay, so I I tend to stay away from things love related in general mm-hmm. uh so you know the romance i mean danielle genre. doesn't always write about love sometimes yeah i mean like i know nothing about her i feel like i will n- never probably why convince me to read a danielle still i mean i think for me it's a nostalgia thing because she was so present like when i was a kid mm-hmm. and i think my like english is my mom's third or fourth language so reading came i think later for her now she seems to read she's broadened her horizons beyond like hulking men on horses or whatever she was reading when I was a kid but I think it I think it's more nostalgia than anything but her turnout like she writes like three four five books a year it's insane She's, she legit had a read whole that section books. in the library yo I was like who is this woman well, there's also that there's that article where they showed us like they showed everybody what her desk looks like and it's just a desk made of her own books she has a desk made she of sure does. huge versions of I her as- own books. I aspire to that level Ballerish. of confusion. <laughs> yes Okay, we have to wrap. Tell the folks where they can find you and your work. My book is in all bookstores, and you can find me on Twitter at Saatchi, S-C-A-A-C-H-I. Woo-woo! Fantastic! Let's buy some rounds and go to sleep. Yeah, y'all wore me out, Toronto. <laughs> y'all just <laughs> let's buy in some the best rounds. Way. Um, it's time to buy rounds. Can I go first because mine is a bit heavy? Ooh, okay. Let's okay. talk about it. That was not a very elegant um, intro into buying rounds. Let's talk about it. Um, does anybody like true crime in the house? Fair. I feel like if this was America, they'd be like rolling in the streets like, yeah, murder, murdering guns. Fuck yeah. So that's actually kind of comforting. Um, I have um, an, I don't want to say obsession. I have I a... Think it's fair. Wow, drag me in front of all these people. <laughs> cool. Um, it, I was worried about it until I talked to my therapist and she said it was fine. But I'm really, really into true crime, right? I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but it's it's born of my anxiety over being serial killed or kidnapped or raped or any of the other horrible things that men do, right? 
Um, so I listen to a lot of true crime. Po- I only listen to true crime podcasts aside from my own, which I have to listen to because I get yelled at if I don't. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, I have a lot of favorite true crime podcasts. I love the misconduct podcast. My favorite murder is great. The red handed podcast is great. I could go one and one. Um, undisputed facts. All the best true crime podcasts are hosted by women because women have a higher stake and telling these stories, right? And so I listen to true crime because I really feel like it can keep me safe somehow. Like, when I walk into a room, I'm not sitting with my back to the room. I need to see the exits. I need to see the doors. I need to see the windows. I need to see who's coming at me. Um, If I'm on a train and somebody's looking at me a little too long, I'm getting off the train. I don't care what stop it is, you know? So it always keeps me in, like, hypervigilant survival mode. Um, One of the things that I dislike about the true crime community, including podcasts, is that Mm. it's so white Mm. and so male. Like, I tried to listen to true crime podcasts that dudes host. They're all assholes. When they, because a lot of them want to be, like, jokey and funny, but they're also talking about crime, which is highly racialized and sexualized. And these are white men doing it, and they don't know what they're doing. Like, they'll tell a story about, like, rape, and they'll make a joke, but they'll make a joke about the woman being raped, and that's not how you do it. Mm. Women will make a joke about the rapist Mm. because that's who you should be... Roasting. Yeah, for sure. So, um... My round today is for the only podcast that I know of that is hosted by a black woman, y'all. It is called, yeah, ooh, ooh. It's called Crime in Color. It is hosted by a young lady named Kiera. I don't know very much about her. I've only started listening to it recently. And I like this podcast because it's weird to say that there should be more representation in stories about death, crime, and murder, right? (laughs) It's a strange thing, but it's also true because when you tell the story of something horrible that's happened to a person, you're doing a lot of things. You're bearing witness to something that happened to somebody Mm. that's horrible. Mm. And you're both being outraged that this thing has happened and you're mourning the life that was lost. And we only mourn lives when we think of them as human. We only mourn lives when we think that it's necessary, that they deserve it. People aren't telling black women's stories. People aren't telling trans women's stories. People aren't telling queer women's stories. You know, it's just the stories of these poor white women who were mowed down in the prime of their lives, which they deserve, um, uh, not sorrow. What's the word? Shit. Yes, 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 yes. All of those things. They deserve empathy. They're, they deserve being missed and being mourned in public. Mm-hmm. We don't get that same um, luxury. It's, and it's sad that that's a luxury in this day and age, you know, to, to mourn somebody's life being lost. It's a luxury, and it's ridiculous. So even with my favorite podcasts, um, I have to actively be like, okay, this is very one-sided, but this is all I have, so I have to take it. But with Crime and Color, it's mm-hmm. so nice to hear somebody report on, like, a black woman being killed and being like, you know, if she was white, this case would have been all over the media, but nobody cares about us. It's just like, yes, you know? And it's so crazy to want to be seen in this area, mm. but it's so nice to be like, somebody cares about black women being murdered. Somebody cares about trans women being murdered. Oh, speaking of. Ooh, talk about it. Listen, and it's sad that I got so excited about this because it really is just like what everybody should be doing. There was one episode where she was like, you know, I really want to report on the deaths of trans women of color, but... I feel like I should talk to a trans woman about it. And I was like, oh my God. How easy was it to include the voices Mm. of people in your story? And she's just like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not equipped to tell this story. Can you help to connect me with somebody else who lives this life, who's been affected by it? And I was just like, 
more of this, please. More trying, more effort, more energy. Woo. So if you're into true crime, <laughs> if you are into true crime, it is really worth it to seek out the stories of um, people of color, of marginalized groups, because when you can behold their suffering and really see what we fucking go through, you start to see us as human if you don't already. And that's what we really need. Black lives matter, black trans lives matter, trans lives matter, you know? Mm. And this is a great way to start. So listen to Crime in Color. <laughs> amen, it, yeah. amen. Who or what is your round for? Something uh, happy, I mine, hope. Mine is super quick and like Beyonce related, of course. Yes, a good note to super end on. Super quick, okay. I would like to buy a round for the gap between the way an item of clothing looks on a runway model versus how it looks on Beyonce. <laughs> that gap. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Okay, Yo. so. I, you know I've been doing a lot of online shopping, Tracy. Uh-huh. Capitalism has me in its throes. Yes. <laughs> it gets us <laughs> out Retail therapy. Anyways, I've been thinking, I've been trying to learn more about designers and fashion because I think my next scam is I'm going to be a... Uh, stylist. It just feels like one of those things where if I can learn like a few of the basics, like learn some designers and know some names, I can just like a few basics out, you must you know? have in your closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been following a lot of the, like just basic accounts that are like, here's what your favorite celebrities wore, like, and points you to all the designers. So I'm just trying to see the range of like what Beyonce's wearing, what Rihanna's wearing, you mm -hmm. know, my faves, etc. And just. First of all, fashion's so weird. I, I don't relate to it at all. I've never looked at like a magazine thing and been like, I could too wear Everything this. Everything on the runway <laughs> looks crazy. Right. I'm like, you can't wear that to the club. You look like Big Bird. Like, what you doing? <laughs> Honestly. But then Beyonce puts the shit on. You're like, oh. It's a look. It's a look. I see. It's a vision. And for our <laughs> listeners who can't see what everyone else here is seeing, it's basically just side-by-sides of mostly Beyonce plus one picture of Rihanna wearing dresses that look foolish on the runway, but on them, it's just like, where do I buy it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just been so inspiring to see, like, as I'm just trying to learn some basics about, like, designers and stuff, mm -hmm. it's just exciting to see, like, that kind of leap of faith. I don't know. It mm. seems so simple, because I just, like, never think of clothing as, like, a thing that can be this fun. Mm -hmm. But they take this little leap of faith where it's like, all right, here's this skinny-ass, white-ass model. <laughs> I don't look nothing like this <laughs> but when I put it on it's me it's a Yo. vision it's a look it's curves it's stuff in a dress <laughs> yes and obviously it's like okay if you're Beyonce anything anything you can put on, on a you. banana leaf and it's <laughs> like yes leaf. Beyonce yes but I'm just inspired by the vision the gap Broke it up, the gap and the jump yes okay. would you wear any of these outfits after seeing all them on them. Beyonce and Rihanna really yeah I can see you in all of these I think you, it's you just, like I love, I love a ruffle, a tool, a mm -hmm. sheer, and that's like in this season, God bless, and platforms, God bless. Ew. That's the only way I can wear heels. Once they're <laughs> gone, I'm just, I'm done. <laughs> Anyways, so shout out to Beyonce and the vision between that gap, you know? Okay. When you're online shopping and it's just like random item of clothing on white model. Try to picture on Beyonce. No, the vision. This is how it's going to look on me. It's a look. It's a look. I like it. I like so it. So shout out to Beyonce, Rihanna, et cetera, The mm -hmm. Gap. Uh, Not The Gap. The Gap. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven, guess what we just did? Made we it. We made it. Hey! 
okay, we have to run through credits and then I can go get blisteringly drunk or go home and pray. I don't know what your plans are later. Um, thank you so much to our amazing guest, Miss Maria Kumar, Miss Sachi Cole. Pick up their books, trust no auntie, and one day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter. Yes. Available wherever books are sold, I guess. What's that, like a bookstore? I don't know. I don't know how you <laughs> buy books They still make here. those. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Will Denovi and everyone here at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival for having us. Woo Our first time in Toronto was a blast. Shout out to the Pod Squad. <laughs> yes, Group Air Horn. <laughs> This show was produced by Eleanor Kagan and Nina Potuck with production support from Maggie Schultz, Agarinesha Chagre, and the rest of the pod squad. Y'all, drink some water, take your meds, call your person, get a therapist, get a tune-up, make sure everything is all right in there. Uh, you got any <laughs> any final uh, Back up your data, keep preaching this word, and no one listens. I have not backed up my... I know y'all ain't years. backed up your data. Show it. I hands. know, I know. <laughs> Go do it. Damn it. Back up your data. Love somebody. Love yourself. Thank you and good night, Toronto. Yeah. 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 Yeah.